we sang, uh, come awake, come awake. And the preacher says, stay awake, stay awake. Huh? Very good. About 25 years ago, my oldest daughter and I, her name is Ashley, she and I went out to eat. It was a nice restaurant. We walked in, sat down. And there was a couple that came in and sat down at the table right next to us. And they started using some words that we don't use in our home, bad words, ugly words. And so I said to her, I said, uh, Ashley, let's move. She was only about uh, six or seven years old at the time. I said, Ashley, let's move. And so we got up from our seats and we moved across the restaurant. We sat down. And after we moved, she said, Daddy, why did we move? And I said, well, do you see that couple over there? I said, they were using some words that we don't use in our home. Uh, Ugly words, bad words. She said, uh, Daddy, why were they using those words? I said, I, I, honey, I don't know. Probably because they're not Christians. You know, mom's a Christian, I'm a Christian. Uh, we're trying to be like Jesus. They're, they're probably not Christians. She said, Daddy, why aren't they Christians? You know, kids can ask more whys than you can shake a stick at. Have you noticed that, parents? She said, Daddy, why aren't they Christians? I said, honey, I, I don't know. Probably because nobody has told them about Jesus. She then asked me this question. She said, Daddy, why don't we tell them about Jesus? And I just sat there. I did not respond. But she asked me the second time. She said, Daddy, Daddy, why don't we tell them about Jesus? And again, I was silent. But she broke the silence. She kind of got in my face and she said, Daddy, Daddy, why don't we tell them about Jesus? Well, I want to ask the very same question to you that she asked me a quarter of a century ago. Why don't we tell people about Jesus? Think about it. Have you, have you told anybody about the Lord lately? Maybe on a Tuesday night, a Thursday morning, a Saturday afternoon. Have you knocked on anybody's door and said, Hey, I have some great news. I've got to share it with you. Have you told anybody about the Lord? Well, what I want to do for a few minutes today, I want to take you back to a story in the Bible. A story about a nobody who wanted to tell everybody about the somebody who can save anybody. I'm glad you're here. I want you to open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 5. Everybody take a Bible and go with me, please, to the Gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, there's the book, chapter 5. My, 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 what a crowd. What a super Sunday morning crowd. Got a great number here today. We have some visitors here. Uh, we have some people who uh, used to be members at the Hendersonville Church. I preached there for 16 and a half years. The Walkers are members here now. And I, I, I see a guy that's in this audience that I went to high school with. Gary Pardon. Oh, Gary's here with his family. Glad to have him. Glad to have all of you. Thank you for your presence. And may God bless the preaching of the Word. Maybe you remember the story, Mark chapter 5. It's the story of the demon-possessed man. He's filled with some evil spirits. And Jesus comes along and He heals this guy. And I love what He says to him in verse 19. Notice what Jesus says to this man who was demon-possessed. It was read for you a few minutes ago. Jesus says to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had compassion on you. Brothers and sisters, how how do you feel about witnessing? How do you feel about uh, personal testimonies? Suppose I got up here and I said, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's not have a sermon today. 
I mean, Joseph has preached a lot of sermons. Let's just uh, go around the room and share a few personal testimonies. We'll start up here at the front. What's your name? Jackson. Going to Jackson. Oh, Johnny Cash used to sing about you. Uh, Jackson, why don't you, uh, why don't you just uh, why don't you stand up and give us a little personal testimony. Tell us what the Lord has done for you. You say, Keith, witnessing personal testimonies. Uh, we don't do that in the church, not in the church of Christ. And yet that's exactly what Jesus tells this guy to do in Mark 5, verse 19. Listen to it again. Jesus says to this demon-possessed man, who's no longer demon-possessed, go home to your friends. Maybe your Bible says, go to your family. Go to your family and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had compassion on you. You know what Jesus is saying? Go tell what the Lord has done for you. Jackson, go tell what the Lord has done for you. Church, go tell what the Lord has done for you. I want you to go back in your mind about 2,000 years. Go back in your mind to the story in Mark chapter 5. And I want you to see Jesus and the disciples as they get into that old wooden boat and they sail across the Sea of Galilee. Is there anybody in this audience who's been to the Sea of Galilee? May I see your hand, please? Anybody? Been there? A few of you? Okay. Dan, you have? I've been there twice. I've taken two boat rides across the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful body of water there in the land of Israel. It's about 13 miles long, about 8 miles across. And I want you to see Jesus and the disciples as they get into that old wooden boat and they sail across the Sea of Galilee. They come to the country of the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes. And as they get out of the boat, a man from the cemetery comes out to meet them. I want you to see this guy. There are sores all over his body. You know why the sores are there? He had cut himself night and day with stones, with rocks. Can you imagine taking a stone, a rock, slashing your skin, perhaps blood and infection oozing out those sores? The irons, the chains on his hands and his legs have been broken. Perhaps bits of chains still connected to his body. Mark says that nobody could bind him. Why do you think they wanted to bind this guy? Think about it. Mark says that nobody could tie him up. Why do you think they wanted to tie him up? We don't know his name. Well, he says his name is Legion. That's really the evil spirit speaking through him. But I like to call this guy Crazy Harry, okay? If your name is Harry, I'm not talking about you, okay? I'm talking about the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5. I like to call him Crazy Harry. Why do you think they wanted to tie up old Crazy Harry? Think about it. Every time they had a funeral out at the graveyard, somebody would have to go out there and tie this demon-possessed guy up. They didn't want old crazy Harry jumping over grandma's casket, interrupting the funeral, so somebody would have to go out there and bind this guy. And Mark says that nobody could do it. Luke, the gospel writer Luke in Luke chapter 8, adds a very interesting fact. You know what Luke says about him? Luke says that the man wore no clothes. Now, you can call it streaking if you want to, okay? Sir, what are you doing? I'm streaking. That sounds a lot better than, sir, what are you doing? I'm running around naked. Call it what you want to call it. He's in his birthday suit. What do you think his hair looked like? 
Do you think it looked like Jackson's hair? Very nice. Do you think it looked like uh, he'd just been to great clips or sports clips? What do you think this demon-possessed man smelled like? Jackson, do you have a favorite cologne? You don't. We know, we can tell. I'm just teasing, I'm just teasing. Do you think this guy, this demon-possessed guy, smelled like uh, Old Spice or Stetson or Ralph Lauren? What do you think this demon-possessed man sounded like, huh? I've never heard a demon-possessed man, have you? Some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, I've heard you preach. Well, I've never heard a demon-possessed man. But I can just imagine the screeching and the groaning and the weeping and the wailing coming forth from this man's lips. And Jesus just stands there. The man runs out, and with a loud voice he says, What do you want with me, most high God, sir, what's your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. And Jesus does the incredible. He takes those many evil spirits and he throws them into a group of pigs. Do you remember how many pigs there were? Have you read the story? About 2,000 pigs. Think about it. 2,000 pigs feeding on a hill and down the hill that went into the sea. <laughs> I would have loved to have been there, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you have loved to have seen this scene? What what do you think the pig farmers were thinking? The swine herders. The pig watchers. By the way, folks, you don't get the most intelligent people in the world to watch the pigs, okay? Now, if you're a pig farmer, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm not trying to put you down. I'm just saying these guys that were out watching the pigs, they did not own the business. They did not own the pigs. They were just the common folks. Oh, Henry and George. And all day long, Henry and George would stand there and watch the pigs. And one moment, everything was fine. I mean, the pigs were rooting, rolling, wallowing, feeding, whatever else pigs do. And the next moment, every single pig gets his own private demon, bingo, just like that. And ten seconds later, there's a stampede down the hill into the sea, and oh, Henry and George, the pig farmers, are flipping a shekel to see who's going to go tell the boss. I would have loved to have heard that conversation when you were, sir, we don't know what happened. We were just out there watching those pigs, and one moment everything was fine, and the next moment, <coughs> down the hill, the wind into the sea, and yes, sir, they're dead, all of them. Oh, Henry tried to catch one by the tail, but he got away, and the Bible says the whole city goes out to see them. I don't blame them, do you? I mean, they did not have TV. They did not have computer. Hey, Martha, Martha, grab the kids. 2,000 pigs are in the lake. Let's go. And when they get out there, not only do they see the pig bodies floating in the lake, they see old Crazy Harry. And guess what? Crazy Harry is no longer crazy. He's sitting there. He's wearing clothes. He's in his right mind. And they look at the pig bodies in the lake and they think, Whoa! Look what this guy, Jesus, did to them. And they look at old crazy Harry, the demon-possessed man who's no longer demon-possessed, and they think, wow, look what this guy, Jesus, did to him. And the Bible says they're frightened, they're scared. And they beg Jesus to leave the coast. Well, as Jesus and the disciples are getting to that boat, getting ready to leave, something amazing happens. You know what happens? Oh, crazy Harry, the one who was demon-possessed, climbs in that boat, and is begging to go, to go with Jesus and the disciples. You know, I could just see Matthew, the tax collector, the numbers guy, pulling out his little calculator and saying, let's see now, one Jesus, 
12 disciples. Hmm, that's 13. Wait a minute, boys, we have a problem. You know the problem? Too many people are in the boat. Oh, crazy Harry had gotten in the boat, and he's saying, Lord, Lord, let me go with you. I'll sell your tapes, I'll sell your CDs, I'll set up the big old tents for the revivals. I want to go with you, sir. And Jesus says, sir, you can't go with me. I want you to go back home, go to your family, go to your friends, and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you. Go tell what the Lord has done for you. And you know something? That's exactly what he does. Look down to verse 20. Verse 20. He departed... And he began to publish in, my Bible says, Decapolis. Folks, that's not one city, that is ten cities. Decapolis, how great things Jesus had done for him. And ladies and gentlemen, do you see what I see? What in the world is he doing? What is he doing? He's out teaching. He's out preaching. He's out saying, hey, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Now, you talk about the most unlikely candidate for a preacher. When Peter, Andrew, James, and John sail across the Sea of Galilee and they see this man coming out from the tombs in his birthday suit, sores all over his body, hair flowing in the wind, smelling like who knows what, they don't go up to him and say, excuse me, sir, uh, you ought to become a preacher. You've got what it takes. They don't go up to old crazy hair and say, man, I tell you, you ought to go up here to Nashville, Tennessee. You ought to enroll at David Lipscomb University. You ought to become a Bible major. You ought to become a gospel preacher, sir. You've got what it takes. They don't encourage this guy to become a preacher. But that's exactly what he became. He became a teacher. He became a preacher. He became a soul winner. He's out saying, hey, hey, I want you to know that Jesus has changed my life. Question. What has the Lord done for you? I'm asking you. My friend, what has the Lord done for you? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, James 1.17. God has given us richly all things to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6.17. So my, my friend, what has the Lord done for you? I'm asking you. And then I would follow that question by asking this question. Have you told anybody? On a Monday night, a Saturday morning, a Sunday afternoon, have you knocked on anybody's door and said, I have some great news. I've just got to tell you what Jesus has done for me. Well, what I want to do before we sing the invitation song, what I want to do, I want to give you a personal testimony, okay? Could I do that? I want to give you a personal testimony. And I just want to stand up here and I want to tell you what the Lord has done for me. And who knows, my story may even be your story. I want you to leave the book of Mark. Leave Mark chapter 5 and go with me please to Ephesians chapter 4. Everybody take a Bible and go to the book of Ephesians. Middle part of God's New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians. It's right after the book of Galatians. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 4. Are you with me? Verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 4. And I just want to tell you what the Lord has done for me. Verse 4, the Bible says there's one body. Everybody look up here. Everybody look. How many bodies do you see standing before you? Be nice, okay? Be nice. Just one, right? Well, sometimes the word body is used in the Bible in reference to the physical body. 
For example, right here in this same book, Ephesians 5, verse 28, Paul said, you men ought to love your wives as you love your own bodies. And there the word bodies used in reference to the physical body. That's not what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4, verse 4. He's not talking about a physical body. He's talking about a spiritual body. You say a spiritual body, I don't understand. It is the church. You say, how do you know that? The Bible tells me so. Ephesians chapter 1, right here in this same book, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, God had put all things under Jesus' feet, given Him to be the head of all things to the church, which is His body, the church, which is His body. So when the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 4, there's one body, you know what the Bible is saying? It's simply saying there's one church. Don't be embarrassed about that. Don't be ashamed of that. God has a family. We call that family the church. There's one body and one spirit. That's the Holy Spirit that God gives to all them that obey Him, Acts 5.32. There's one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope. You say, Brother Keith, I hope to go to heaven. Well, so do I. That's our hope. It's the hope of eternal life, Titus 1 and verse 2. He goes on to say, Ephesians 4, verse 5, there's one Lord, that has to be Jesus. One faith, the gospel is a message of faith to which we respond in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, verse 6, one baptism. You say one baptism? That has to be immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2, 38. Now, I've said all of that to get us down to verse 6. Don't miss verse 6. Are you with me? Ephesians 4, verse 6, there's one God... And Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. You say, Keith, what has the Lord done for you? May I tell you what Jesus has done for me? Let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. First of all, He's given me a father. A father. Now, I'm not talking about my daddy that passed away five years ago. I'm not talking about my father-in-law that passed away four and a half years ago. I'm not talking about my father I'm talking about my Father. Jesus has given me a Father. How many baptized believers do we have in this assembly? You believe in Christ, you have put on Jesus in baptism, be proud of it. Be proud of it. I have some great news for you. You have a good Father. You have a good Father. You you say, Keith, a good Father. My Father abused me when I was a kid. I'm not talking about your Father. You say, my daddy ran off with another woman, left mom to struggle with his kid. I'm not talking about your daddy, your father. I'm talking about your father. You have a good father. And may I tell you how good your father, my father is? When this thought occurred to me many, many years ago, it literally changed my life. It changed my life. I went from a burdened Christian to a blessed Christian. I went from a, from a guilt-ridden Christian to an at-peace kind of Christian. It's a very simple thought, but it literally changed my life. Here's the thought that changed my life. My Father, our Father is so good, He wants me to be saved even more than I want myself to be saved. Let me say it like this. Your Father is so good, He wants you to go to heaven even more than you want yourself to go to heaven. Do you want to go to heaven? You just missed a wonderful time to say amen. So I'll give you another shot, okay? You want to go to heaven, amen? You say go to heaven? 
Keith, more than anything in the world. Sure, I want to go to heaven. See, that's a great desire. But no matter how strong your desire is to go to heaven, no matter how fired up and committed you become, you can attend every church service there is to attend, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You, you can read and study your Bible every day. You can get down on your knees and pray 17 times a day. But I'm telling you, folks, no matter how strong your desire is to go to heaven, no matter how fired up you become, there's a God in heaven who loves you. He's crazy about you. And He wants you to be saved even more than you want yourself to be saved. And that's the goodness of God, and that's gospel good news preaching. Let me ask the fathers, grandfathers of this audience, fathers, do you want your own kids to go to heaven? I have three children. I have two daughters. I have Pete. You think I want my kids to go to heaven? More than life? Sure, I want my kids to go to heaven. But if we want that for our children, don't you know the Heavenly Father wants that for His children? See, God is not against you. He's for you. And if God be for you... Who can be against you? Romans 8 and verse 31. You say, Keith, what has the Lord done for you? I tell you what Jesus has done for me. Number one, He's given me a father. Number two, He's given me a family. A family. Now, I'm not talking about my wife that I've been married to for 40 years. I'm not talking about my three kids and my four grandbabies. I'm not talking about my mama, who's 85 years old. I'm not talking about my family. I'm talking about... My family. My family. You're in Ephesians 4. Look back to chapter 3. Ephesians 3. Look to verse 14. Don't miss it. Verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole, don't miss it, family, you see that? Family in heaven and on earth is named. You're my family. You really are. Jackson, you're a Christian. Christian. Baptized believer. Do you realize that Jackson and I are blood kin? You have the blood of Jesus. You've been baptized. I've been baptized. I have the blood of Jesus. We're blood kin. See, you're my family. He's my brother. God is our Father. Jesus is our brother. The blessed Holy Spirit's our guide. The devil is no relation. We are new creations. We're members of the family of the sky. And I tell you, folks, everywhere I go, from the Carolinas to California, I have brothers and sisters who love me, a church that's praying for me, a brothers and sisters that care for me, that are encouraging me. Romans 16, 16, what does it say? The churches of Christ salute you. And I tell you, this morning... I want to salute the churches of Christ. I believe the greatest people in the world are members of the family of God. In fact, I'll just say it like this. I believe that the greatest people in the world are members of churches of Christ. You're my family. God is our Father. And we're brothers and sisters. We're part of a great, great family. You say, Keith, what has Jesus done for you? i tell you what Jesus has done for me. Number one, He's given me a Father, a Heavenly Father. And number two, He's given me my family my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me show you something else the Lord has done for me. In the third place, He's given me forgiveness. Forgiveness. You're in Ephesians chapter 3. Look back to chapter 1. Don't miss chapter 1. Verse 7. Look to verse 7. 
He's talking about Jesus. In Him, in Jesus, in whom we have redemption. We've been bought with a price. What's the price? His blood. What are you talking about, Paul? Let me ask you, do you see the word forgiveness in Ephesians 1 and verse 7? In Him we have forgiveness, the forgiveness of sins. Now, let me show you what forgiveness literally means. I'll do it like this. Everybody watch. We'll do it with the uh, tray. Watch. Forgiveness. You want me to do it again, Pete? Let's wake up some of these people, okay? Watch it. Everybody watch. Forgiveness. If you forgive somebody, you let it go. You turn it loose. God, through the blood of His Son Jesus, has taken my sins and He's let go. And I would say to you, if you're not a Christian, what the Apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, you need to change. You need to repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, the letting go for the forgiveness of sins. You say, Keith, I've been baptized. Oh, you've been baptized? I would say to you what John said in 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, if we're open and honest and transparent, Man, I struggle with lying. I struggle with cursing. I'm an adulterer. I, 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 need, to, I need to grow up in Christ. I, I, I need to get on fire for the Lord. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to what? To let go. You say, Keith, what has Jesus done for you? I tell you what the Lord has done for me. Number one, He's given me a father. Number two, a family. Number three, forgiveness. And then number four, He's given me a future. You're in Ephesians chapter 1. Look to chapter 2. Chapter 2. He's talking about grace in Ephesians 2. Grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. And in the context of grace, G-R-A-C-E, notice what it says in verse 7. That in the ages to come. Brethren, That's not the past. That's not the present. That's the what? It's the future. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know something? You can take away my car. You can take away my house. You can take away my money. You can take away my wife and even my life. But you can't take away my future. You can't. Because it is secured in heaven by God. I love the story about the guy who was very, very sick. He knew he was going to die. Terminally ill. And so he called his preacher. He only had a few weeks to live. He called his preacher. He wanted to talk to the preacher about the funeral. So the preacher came over and they talked for about 20 minutes about the songs that he wanted sung and the scriptures he wanted read and the comments he wanted made at his own funeral. And after about 20 minutes, the preacher got up to leave. And this sick guy said, sir, there's one other thing. And the preacher stopped in his tracks and said, sure, what is it? And this hurt guy, this sick guy said, preacher, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. A fork? The preacher asked. He said, yeah, let me explain. He said, you know, in all the years of attending church, the church dinners, the church lunches, the church socials, after the delicious meal was served, somebody would usually walk up and whisper in my ear, Sam, hey Sammy, keep your fork. And Sammy smiled and said, preacher, 
That was a sign to me that something better was coming. The dessert was coming. And oh, Sammy said, I love the dessert. The triple layered chocolate cake. The strawberry shortcake. The deep dish apple pie. Oh, I love the dessert. And Sammy said, preacher, I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. And when people come to the visitation or to the funeral and they look in my casket and they see me with a fork and they start asking questions like, a fork? What's Sammy doing being buried with a fork? Oh, Sammy smiled and said, preacher, at my funeral, I want you to get up and tell them there's something better that's coming. And I want to tell you, folks, in the name of Jesus, there's something better that's coming. See, I like Winchester, but Winchester's not home. I live in Hendersonville, lived there for 25 years, but I'm telling you, Winchester is not home, neither is Hendersonville. I, I, I grew up in the state of Alabama. I, 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 I love Alabama, but Alabama's not home. Tennessee's not home. Winchester's not home. Hendersonville is not home. Our home is in heaven. You've listened well. You've listened well, but I have four quick questions. And here's question number one. I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm asking just you and me. Number one, I'm asking you, do you have a father? Can you close your eyes and bow your head and honestly say, Abba, Father, is God your father? Are you his child? Scripture says we're all the children of God by faith for as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Have you been baptized into Christ? Is God your Father? That's number one. Here's number two. Do you have a family? Can you point to a group of people, God's people, and say, boy, that's where I belong. That's my family. They're my brothers and sisters. Are you a part of the church? Do you have a family? Here's question number three. Question number three, I'm asking you, just you and me, do you have forgiveness? Do you feel forgiven? Has God, through the blood of His Son, taken your sins and let go? Maybe. Maybe the most important question is question number four. Here's question number four. Honestly, I'm asking you, do you have a future? I mean, if you were to die right now, honestly, answer it. Would you go to heaven? Teaching a Bible class some time ago, had 85 students in this Bible class, most of whom members of Churches of Christ. And I asked that fourth question like this. I said, if you were to die right now, or if Jesus were to come today, would you go to A, heaven? B, hell? C, I do not know. Or D, neither heaven or hell? The number one answer was C. I don't know. Three in that Bible class said, I wouldn't go to heaven, I wouldn't go to hell, neither heaven or hell. Frankly, I don't understand that answer, but three said neither heaven or hell. Eleven in that Bible class were very, very honest. They said, we're lost, we'd go to hell. We're hell bound. Thirty-one in that Bible class said, praise God, I have a future, I'm going to heaven. But forty in that Bible class of 85 students said, I don't know. Well, I want to close today by asking you the very same question. If you were to die right now, or if Jesus were to come, and wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus came today? Wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus came before the patriots and the eagles came? 
If Jesus came today, if you were to die today, would you go to A, heaven, B, hell, C, I do not know, or D, neither heaven or hell? Let me tell you what some of you are thinking. I'm not sure. I don't know. And maybe it's the devil that's placed those doubts in your heart. Or maybe you've lived in a way that you have a reason to doubt. And we don't want you to leave today with doubts. We don't want you to leave today in despair. So I wonder, what's going to happen today? Will anybody walk down one of these aisles and say, man, I want a future. I I, I want to be saved. I, I, I need to be baptized into Christ. Will anybody this morning come and say, you know, I'm a baptized believer, but I'm really struggling with my faith, and I just need to get fired up again, and I I just want to renew my vows to Jesus. What's going to happen today? Will anybody be saved? When you came this morning, you probably did not come thinking, you know, when we sing the invitation song. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to walk down the church aisle. You probably did not come thinking, I'm going to respond. But it's going to take one person to lead the way. And when one person comes, then another, and another, and another. So what's going to happen? It's going to take that one to lead the way. You need to be saved? Come on. You've got a father, a family, forgiveness, future at stake. Come on. Need to be baptized? Come on. Need to be prayed for as a Christian? Come on. Today. Lead the way, would you? Let's stand. Let's sing.